All right. Well, good morning. Uh, good morning. My name's Chad. I'm one of the pastor elders here at Reality Ventura. And I also want to wish all the fathers a happy Father's Day. Um, let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 16. The title of this sermon is Beware of Legalism and Liberalism. Last Sunday, Billy ended the section of the feeding of the 4,000 in Matthew chapter 15, specifically on God's mission has no bounds. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 12 of Matthew chapter 16 this morning, and I will be um, reading and preaching from the NIV. Let's start reading now. Matthew 16, starting in verse 1. The Pharisees and Sadducees came to Jesus and tested Him by asking Him to show them a sign from heaven. Jesus replied, When evening comes, you say, It'll be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, Today it'll be stormy, for the sky is red and overcast. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation looks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. Jesus then left them and went away. When they went across the lake, the disciples forgot to take bread. Be careful, Jesus said to them. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They discussed this among themselves and said, It is because we didn't bring any bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked, You have little faith. Why are you talking among yourselves about having no bread? Do you still not understand? Don't you you remember the five loaves for the five thousand? And how many basketfuls you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000? And how many basketfuls you gathered? How is it you don't understand that I was not talking to you about bread? But be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he was not telling them to guard against the yeast used in bread but against the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. This is God's word. Would you join me in prayer? Father God in heaven, first and foremost, we thank you for your word that is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. We thank you for the very words of Christ this morning. I ask God that you would give us ears to hear what the Spirit would say to the church this morning, what the Spirit would say to my brothers and sisters this morning. And I also ask God for grace and anointing by, your, by the power of your Holy Spirit. And I declare this morning that apart from you, I can do nothing. So please help me be faithful to the Scriptures faithful to the words of Christ this morning for your glory and for the edification of your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, the events of this text found in Matthew 16 began just after Jesus 
crossed the Sea of Galilee from the Gentile area of Decapolis, where he had miraculously fed 4,000 men beside women and children, and came to the, to the Jewish region of Magadan on the western shore. Jesus' opponents came there to confront him as soon as they heard he had, had arrived. As it says in verse 1 of Matthew 16, the Pharisees and Sadducees came to Jesus. The gospel accounts make clear that beginning with the ministry of John the Baptist, the most vocal and determined rejection of Christ and his gospel was by the Jewish leaders, especially the influential and powerful Pharisees and Sadducees. Before we dive into our text this morning, let's back up and get a little context and answer the question, who exactly are the Pharisees and Sadducees? We've seen them a lot in the Gospels thus thus far, but let's drill down a little bit to get a better cultural understanding about who they are. First and foremost, the Pharisees and Sadducees are strange bedfellows because they hold different theological and political views. These two groups are usually at odds with one another, but they easily set aside their theological differences when they meet a common enemy, just as they did with John the Baptist. The Pharisees were generally speaking the religious leaders of Israel during the time of Jesus. And it was basically a two-system party in Israel, even as it is in America today. Just as we have the Democrats and the Republicans, they had the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and they made up something called the, the Sanhedrin, which were 70 ruling elders. And the Sanhedrin was a ruling body of elders in Israel that governed and oversaw and directed the religious and social life of Israel. Now, the Pharisees were the party that were generally linked to conservatism. They were religiously and socially conservative. They had great concern about the scriptures, and they had great concern about the tradition of the elders. Also, the Pharisees were serious about keeping the rules, both from the Old Testament and and the Hebrew scriptures, and also from the oral tradition the tradition of the elders. They are so serious about keeping the rules that they called themselves the separated ones. That's what Pharisees means, separate ones. It could be said they were the arrogant ones due to their pride and self-righteousness. In contrast, the Sadducees were concerned with things like wealth, power, and influence. The Sadducees were more activists that got involved. And they were sort of the wealthy class concerned with politics and social change. So in a nutshell, the Pharisees were more conservative and fundamental and they held rabbinic tradition to be equal, to have equal authority with Scripture. They are strongly separatistic, continuing the zealous protection of Judaism from Gentile influence. The Sadducees, on the other hand, cared nothing for rabbinic tradition. They had no regret or remorse about making religious, cultural, or political compromises. 
Although they claimed to believe in Scripture, their interpretations were so spiritualized that all significant meaning was lost. They were thoroughly liberal and materialistic, not believing in angels, the resurrection of the dead, the afterlife, or anything supernatural. Now that we have a better idea of who the Pharisees and the Sadducees are, let's go back to verse 1, which says, The Pharisees and Sadducees came to Jesus and tested him by asking him to show them a sign from heaven. The Pharisees and Sadducees did not come to Jesus in hope of finding truth for themselves, but in hope of finding falsehood in him. Therefore, testing him, they asked him to show him a sign from heaven. From heaven indicates the desire to see a miraculous sign in the sky. The Greek word for heaven is the same word as sky. So they're asking to see something that is God-sized, that is something from the sky. Perhaps they wanted fire from heaven as Elijah had done, or bread from heaven as Moses had done. The Pharisees and the Sadducees were, de- were demanding a miracle that they honestly thought was beyond Jesus. A God-sized miracle from the sky, hoping to prove that His power and therefore His message were not divine. They were hoping Jesus would be publicly discredited and they would be vindicated. In a sense, they were saying, sure, you're doing all this stuff like healing lepers and casting out demons and raising people from the dead. All these things are here here on earth. But show us something God-sized. Show us something from heaven, something from the sky. And so in asking for a sign from heaven, they were, uh, they were essentially discred- discrediting his miracles, which they considered signs upon earth. In the same way after Jesus healed a demon-possessed man back in Matthew chapter 12, the Pharisees said Jesus' miraculous power actually came from Satan. And so that's what the Pharisees believed. They believed that Miraculous powers that were done on earth basically were from the devil and only signs from heaven, only signs from the sky were actually from God. But we know that they had other intentions. There is a clue in the text as to their motive that they came to test Jesus. By testing Jesus, they didn't come with a posture of true faith and humility as they should have come. They were coming with an attitude of ungodly skepticism characterized by blind unbelief. They did not see, they did not understand, and they did not want to understand. Jesus had performed many signs that any fair-minded person should have seen. But an ungodly, and I would even say evil, sort of skepticism, blinded by their unbelief and hard-heartedness, caused them to tragically have no insight into the situation where the kingdom of God was actually breaking in. In their blindness, the Pharisees and Sadducees tragically could not see. 
that Jesus himself was a sign from heaven. That Jesus himself was a sign from heaven. The Pharisees who are religious were blinded by legalism and formalism. I want to give us a quick working definition of legalism. Legalism is trying to obtain or earn righteousness, a right standing before God, apart from the finished work of Christ. Legalism meaning self-righteousness, meaning arrogant of one's own righteousness. Or it could be said, becoming arrogant by one's own righteousness. The Sadducees, who are irreligious, were blinded by liberalism and rationalism. Another quick working definition. Liberalism is being influenced and deceived by the the philosophies and traditions of men according to the principles and culture of the world rather than the truths of Christ. Liberalism meaning worldliness or meaning disregarding rules or general morality. Disregarding rules or general morality. Another word for that is being licentious or being carnal. That is liberalism or worldliness. Legalism and liberalism are birthed when we have a high view of ourselves, a high view of ourselves and a low view of God. They're rooted in pride and having a lack of faith in God or a lack of faith in the living God, which in turn blinds us. So these blind guides come to test Jesus. And what's interesting and noteworthy is the word test is usually used in the New Testament with negative connotations. The idea is to test so as to make fail. Test as to make fail, which signifies that they weren't sincere in their seeking of a sign from the sky. Knowing that the true intent of the Pharisees and Sadducees and their demand for a heavenly sign was really to discredit him, Jesus responds to them in their insincere motives and he calls them out in verses 2 and 3 and says, When evening comes, you say, It'll be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, today it'll be stormy, for the sky is red and overcast. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret The signs of the times. Jesus is saying, you guys are smart enough to interpret the signs of the weather, but you're not smart enough to see who I am. Essentially saying, you guys are smart about certain things and so dumb about other things. My interpretation You guys are so smart about certain things, but you are so dumb about other things. Though able to predict future weather patterns, they cannot interpret properly the clear signs they have seen and the clear signs of the times. You're essentially, your sensitivity to the weather, Jesus said in effect, 
makes a mockery of your insensitivity to God's kingdom. You have no idea what God is doing in the world. You are oblivious to the times in which you are privileged to live. The very times of redemption by God's own Son before whom you now stand. They are standing before the Son of God. Standing before their Messiah. And they can't even recognize the signs of the times due to their blindness. Tragically, what it means to be a citizen of His kingdom completely escapes them. It was the beginning of the messianic age that the Jews had longed hope for, but the Jewish leaders did not recognize it. Sadly, they were better weathermen than biblical scholars. In Matthew 23, Jesus labeled them blind guides and blind fools, blinded by legalism and blinded by liberalism. In other words, the Pharisees and the Sadducees are too hard-hearted to receive the messianic proofs that Jesus has already displayed. They're blinded by self-righteousness and worldliness. These two parties are looking for reasons not to believe in the abundant proof regarding Jesus' identity. Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus, their Messiah. Jesus, their Redeemer. Again, they are completely blinded by their own self-righteousness, by their own worldliness. Jesus knew the true motive of the Pharisees and the Sadducees was to entrap Him, not to be convinced of His Messiahship. He also knew that the, uh, another sign, no matter how astonishing, would not convince them about which they were determined to reject. They were determined to reject Jesus as their, as their Messiah, as the Son of God. So Jesus, in a sense, is sort of pulling the mask off of them and revealing who they really are. And He says about them in verse 4, a wicked and adulterous generation looks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. This would have been pretty profound in the ears of the hearers that were there, the disciples, and those in the crowd, but certainly the Pharisees and the Sadducees who came asking for a sign, and Jesus says to them explicitly, you guys are acting like wicked and adulterous people as it pertains to your relationship with the God of Israel. They are wicked and adulterous because they refuse to understand and acknowledge the truth the truth of who Jesus is and was. They are adulterous in that they had forsaken the true God of Israel for their empty religion. Jesus would not indulge them and says in verse 4, a sign will not be given it except the sign of Jonah. The only sign they would receive was the sign of Jonah, which Jesus had previous, previously told them back in Matthew chapter 12, verses 40 and 41. Jesus says, 
For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. Just as God rescued the prophet Jonah from drowning and death, so too will he miraculously raise Christ from the dead. Jesus is the ultimate and final sign. If the Pharisees and the Sadducees will not listen to the teaching of Jesus and respond to the love and truth of Jesus, they will not believe the one were to rise from the dead. Jesus is the validation of his message. He is the sign that cannot ultimately ultimately be spoken against. And his resurrection will demonstrate this truth. His resurrection to all of Israel, specifically and especially to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, is going to validate his message and validate that he is the Messiah. And the same, it's the same truth for us today. It's the resurrection that validates the truths and the claims of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul said that we as Christians should be most pitied if there is no resurrection. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, we are the biggest fools to be even here this morning. But Paul goes on to say that Jesus indeed did rise from the dead. He rose from the grave. And that's what validates the message of Jesus Christ. That's what validates who he is. And I encourage anyone who's a seeker or a skeptic this morning, study the resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Study it. And that's what, that's what Christianity hinges on. And God will prove himself faithful that the resurrection is indeed a true fact. But tragically, the sign of Jonah 2 would be rejected by the religious leaders. And may it not be rejected by anyone this morning. May it not be rejected. We know this because in Matthew chapter 28, When they heard of Jesus' resurrection, they bribed the soldiers who guarded his tomb to say that his body was stolen by by his own disciples. But the ultimate tragedy and finality is what the end of verse 4 says. Jesus then left them and went away. Because the unbelieving Pharisees and the Sadducees would not have him as Lord and Savior, Jesus then left them and went away. Jesus didn't hang around to argue or to prove who he was. He just says, look, you will know when I am risen from the dead. A sober reality that, we, that they are going to face soon enough. And a sober reality for those of us who in the same way reject Jesus as Lord and Savior. The reality 
the reality of being separated from the love of God throughout eternity. The reality to be separated from the presence of God where there is fullness of joy. Fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore and being cast out into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That is not the will of God for anyone here this morning. It's His will that you throughout eternity be in His presence where there's fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. And so... The issue that surfaces in the text thus far and what we need to learn from is the fact that the spirit of unbelief or the spirit of blindness due to legalism and liberalism was pervasive in Israel's culture and had an effect on the disciples. Unknowingly, I'm sure. But it was affecting they themselves and how they thought about And how they responded to Jesus. And we need to learn from that. My brothers and sisters, we need to learn that a spirit of blindness comes upon us from self-righteousness and from worldliness. And it affects us in how we think about Jesus and how we respond to Jesus how we think about who He is and what He is to us and how we respond to His love and His goodness. And honestly, my biggest concern as a pastor for our church is self-righteousness, yes. But even more of a concern for us is worldliness. For myself as well, being licentious, having no regard for, I'm not speaking about rules and moralism, I'm speaking, for, for, I'm speaking in relation to the Word of God and the truths of Christ and how worldliness will blind us, how self-righteousness will blind us and affect us from who Christ is and affect us how we think about Him and how we respond to Him. And we must Learn from that this morning. I must learn from that this morning. That the spirit of unbelief due to legalism and liberalism was affecting the disciples. We even see how it plays out in verses 5 through 12 that says, When they went across the lake, the disciples forgot to take bread. Be careful, Jesus said to them. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. They discussed this among themselves and said, It is because we didn't bring any bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked, You of little faith, Why are you talking among yourselves about no bread? Do you still not understand? Don't you remember the five loaves for the five thousand? And how many basketfuls you gather? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000? And how many basketfuls you gathered? How is it you don't understand that I was not talking to you about bread? But be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. 
Then they understood that he was not telling them to guard against the yeast used in bread, but against the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. So knowing the disciples' concern over their lack of food, believe it or not, (laughs) Jesus is essentially saying, open your eyes. Open your eyes and pay close attention to the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Don't be concerned about bread, but about what is truly important in this present situation. What is important is the spiritual danger of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. But like most of us, the disciples were caught up in the physical and the temporal. Isn't that true? Like most of us are just caught up in the physical and temporal. Their spiritual vision was limited and their spiritual attention span was short. And that's what happens to us as believers. When we're just caught up in the physical and the temporal, that our spiritual vision ends up being limited. Our spiritual discernment, our spiritual understanding, being led by the Holy Spirit is just ends up being limited. And then our spiritual attention span is short. So our spiritual uh, attention span for the things of prayer, the things of God, for the Word of God is just we have a short attention span. We can't even be still anymore and know that He is God. So it's obvious the disciples were confused about what Jesus meant because their earthly orientation was a great barrier, barrier to spiritual vision. We need to heed to that, brothers and sisters, that when we are more about the physical and the temporal, and there's a, our, this earthly orientation that happens in our lives, that is a great barrier, a great barrier to spiritual vision, spiritual insight, in a great barrier in our lives. And the response revealed again how much they needed divine help and understanding, which we all need, prompting Jesus to say to them in verse 8, what he has said numerous times before, you of little faith. And I, I, he, I believe he wasn't saying that in a condemning way. He was just saying, you of little faith. You of little faith. Jesus is saying in effect, you should know that I'm not speaking about the fact that we have no bread. <laughs> it's not about bread at all. It's actually about trust. And the followers of Jesus living out of a place of understanding and remembering of who Jesus is and what he has done. It's about trust. That's why Jesus said to the disciples in verse 9, Do you still not understand? Don't you remember? It's crazy to think, isn't it, that the feeding of the 4,000 was right before this just right before this, and the feeding of the 5,000 was just a chapter before. It's interesting the way that they are acting and thinking or not thinking and not acting rightly. They are not thinking in light of what Christ has done and who Christ has revealed himself to be. And when they didn't understand and when they didn't remember, then what we see here is that they began to see life incorrectly through a lens of unbelief and that can happen to us 
when we have a higher view of ourselves, we have a too high of a view of ourselves and a low view of God, we just start not seeing life correctly. And then we start seeing all of life through a lens of unbelief. They weren't really making a Jesus equation out of what he was saying, this bread thing. They weren't functioning and living by faith. They were still living in the natural and not the supernatural. They forgot kingdom math, the miracle of kingdom multiplication. When it came to Jesus miraculously feeding the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000 with just a few loaves of bread, and a few fish. When Jesus just took those few loaves of bread and few fish and he just offered a blessing and asked God the Father to bless it and then God the Father multiplied and they fed 5,000 then they fed 4,000. They forgot that God is a God of miracles. God is an all-powerful God. That God can be trusted And what that caused them to do was to be fearful about silly things. Living in fear, doubt, and confusion. Instead of living by faith and trust. By living out of a place of understanding and remembering of who Jesus is and what he has done. God is calling us to live out of a place in our Christian walks. Out of a place of understanding and out of a place of remembering understanding who Christ is and what he's done and remembering God's faithfulness. Remembering when God met you in however he met, whether it was a physical need, a financial need, or his presence came upon you and he overwhelmed you with his peace and presence when you're overwhelmed or he comforted you when you're brokenhearted. Remember Remember how God has been faithful. Live out from a place of understanding and remembering of who Jesus is and what he has done. And may we be a people that live by faith and not by sight. May we be a people that trust in God with all our hearts and lean not on our own understanding. In all our ways acknowledge him and his goodness, his love and his power. And allow him to direct our path. In light of the disciples' lack of understanding and in their dullness of hearing, Jesus repeats the warning for the second time in verse 11. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees, Jesus is warning This is a kind of evil concerning this yeast. Jesus is speaking of a kind of evil. When Jesus says, beware the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees, the point is that self-righteousness and worldliness are very subtle. Here's the warning, and here's what we, including myself, need to be very aware of. Self-righteousness And worldliness is very subtle. It just can subtly creep into our lives. Suddenly creep into our hearts without us even knowing it. And then before we know it, we become self-righteous and arrogant. 
or we become worldly and licentious and carnal. And I know we all know what yeast is, and maybe some of us don't, but if you don't, if you put a tiny bit in the dough, and it it ends up leavening a whole bunch of dough, and then it makes it rise into a nice loaf of bread, basically. I'm not much of a baker, as you can tell. My wife does really good at that. But the point of yeast in biblical imagery is a tiny bit has a really big effect. Let's just remember that. A tiny bit has a really big effect. So you really need to be careful with yeast because just as a tiny bit of yeast is able to cause a large amount of dough to rise, yeast was often used figuratively in the Bible to represent any sort of influence. In this case, with the Pharisees and Sadducees, a harmful influence. It was the spiritual... It was the spiritually contaminating influence of the Pharisees and the Sadducees that Jesus uses yeast to represent. And he's basically saying, beware of their influence, Jesus is saying. Their way of thinking and living has no part in my kingdom or its righteousness. And this harmful influence of legalism and liberalism from the Pharisees and the Sadducees is what caused or what influenced the disciples not to think right and well about who Jesus was and is. It really came down to trusting what they knew to be right and true about Jesus or not trusting it, which is the deity of Christ. Jesus being the Son of God, God in the flesh, the Messiah, the creator of all things. On another occasion in Luke Chapter 12, verse 1, Jesus explained that the yeast of the Pharisees was hypocrisy. Their particular form of ungodliness was characterized by religious phoniness, external purity without internal righteousness, the legalism, formalism, and ritualism that they cherished so dearly were a cover-up for spiritual uncleanness and deadness. Again, because they had a high view of themselves and a low view of God because of the root of their pride. Maybe some of us today are like the Pharisees. May it not be so. Christianity, religion, has taken a particular form of just keeping the rules. An external purity without internal righteousness that comes from Christ alone. Which has caused us to become self-righteous, maybe even arrogant. And fallen into the trap of religious phoniness, which is hypocrisy, which is being an actor. Acting one way in front of Believers and being a completely different person outside of the church, or you know what hypocrisy is, in which Jesus rebukes the Pharisees in Matthew 23 27 for their hypocrisy, and it's a heavy rebuke. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, 
but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. The Pharisees' hypocrisy adversely permeated the whole religious scene in Israel. And in the same way, our hypocrisy can permeate everything around us. Our hypocrisy, our self-righteousness, our arrogance can end up permeating a church community, a church. It can end up permeating our homes. It can end up permeating a community depending on the influence we have. We need to be aware of that. The yeast of the Sadducees, on the other hand, was irreligious liberalism. To them, religion was primarily a means to earthly temporal ends. They did not believe in angels, miracles, the resurrection, and afterlife, or anything else supernatural. They are thoroughly materialistic and rationalistic, and they too had an adverse permeating influence with many, in, with many in Israel. They had a low view of God, a high view of themselves, which caused them to have a high view and a strong love for the things of this world. Maybe some of us today are like the Sadducees. Christianity is primarily a means to earthly temporal ends. We are materialistic and rationalistic in the way we live out our faith, which has caused us to be more liberal in our Christian view and the lens from when the lens from in which we see and how we live out our faith, and in turn, we have become worldly, which has influenced others around us. When we become worldly or carnal or licentious, we got to understand, I need to take heed. That is going to have a radical influence in the church, in the community of people I hang out with, a radical influence in my home, and in this community. Both these types of yeasts are enemies of the gospel, the kingdom of God, and our faith. They corrupt God's truth, and what's heavy, they corrupt God's people. Don't let either the legalism of the Pharisees or the liberalism of the Sadducees influence you, Jesus was warning. False doctrine is always a danger, no matter what its form. And it should be shunned and rejected by us as believers wherever and however it's encountered. We see two examples of legalism and liberalism that Paul had to address in the early church. So it's not something new in the church for us today. First, the Galatian church was threatened by the legalistic perversions of the the Judaizers who insisted that observance of circumcision and the Mosaic law be added to the finished work of Christ. To them Paul warned in Galatians 3, verses 2 and 3, This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law? Or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Beware of legalism, meaning self-righteousness, meaning arrogance. First and foremost, we need to beware of it. 
that it doesn't enter into our hearts and our lives. And then secondly, we need to be aware of it in others. Secondly, on the other hand, the Colossian church was threatened by irreligious rationalism and liberalism. To those believers, Paul warned in Colossians 2.8, See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. Beware of liberalism, of worldliness, of being licentious. First, we need to be aware of that in our own lives. And then secondly, we need to be aware of it in others. We must be aware. Be on guard against the yeast of legalism, which is self-righteousness, and liberalism, which is worldliness, and any other false doctrine that comes our way, whether that's for us personally or with another brother or sister in Christ. And yet, it's very important to note, Jude warns that when a believer seeks to help deliver someone from a false system or any false doctrine or a spirit of legalism or liberalism, to do it mercifully and wisely as if he was snatching a brand from fire, as it says, be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others show mercy mixed with fear on our parts. Hating even what the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. Mercifully, we need to be merciful because as believers we are called to correct and rebuke in love with great patience as it says in 2 Timothy 4.2. Wisely, because if we get too close to false doctrine, a cult, a pagan religion, or a spirit of legalism or liberalism, we risk being burned. We risk being influenced. And let me just say something quickly because the Holy Spirit just reminded me. It may not just come from people we know. It can come from blogs. It can come from the websites we go on to from the things that we read, we can be influenced by self-righteousness, legalism, and the things of this world by the things we spend a lot of time doing even on our computers or reading. So in closing, it's going to be a real quick closing, the disciples finally realized that Jesus was not talking to them about physical bread, but warning them to guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And by the Lord's sovereign grace and patience, it says in verse 12, then they understood that he was not telling them to guard against the yeast used in bread, but against the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And that's my prayer for us this morning, that we would understand these things And be on guard against the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, which is legalism and liberalism, that are birthed when we have a high view of ourselves and a low view of God and are rooted in pride and having a lack of faith or trust in the living God, which in turn blinds us. Let's pray.
Father God in heaven, I'm humbled by this warning personally. I'm sobered by this warning personally. I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ. I ask, Holy Spirit, that God, they would heed to the warning as well because of your love for them, because of your love for the body of Christ, because of your glory. God, I ask for my brothers and sisters, if there be any root of legalism, self-righteousness, or arrogance in the heart of a brother or sister this morning, would you reveal that to them? Would you convict them because of your love for them? And would you give them the grace to repent and turn from legalism and self-righteousness and humble themselves before you? Before you? And God, if there be a brother and sister or here this morning that's become worldly, it's become licentious, has become carnal, God, would you reveal that to them now? Would they be quick to repent before you, O oh God? And God, would they also respond to your love and respond to your grace, knowing how much you love them and all that you did for them? And may, us, may we all live our lives in such a way, God, that we understand who you are and we continue to remember who you are and remembering your faithfulness, O oh God. Just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today, for the first time, that maybe you err on the side of legalism or liberalism. Maybe you have a high view of yourself and a low view of God. And you need to repent of your pride this morning. I want to encourage you to come to the carpus this morning and repent and surrender it may mean specifically repenting of self-righteousness or worldliness and receive the grace and love and forgiveness of God. And maybe you just have a low view of God that has been caused by a lack of faith. Come up and receive prayer for the prayer team is on my right and on my left. And really what's important for all of us this morning is come to the communion table in remembrance of the finished work of Christ on behalf of all of us taking the bread and the cup and remembering his broken body and his spilt blood on our behalf.